Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. So we're talking about self-esteem and how to how to uh, how to achieve healthy self-esteem. And what we talked about last week is that this comes from the Chovos Salavavos, which is a book uh, called Duties of the Heart in English. It was written, um, I think, in the 12th century. I don't know that this time of night I can't think. But it's a book basically talking about the inner work that a person has to do to create a Torah personality, to become the kind of a person that the learning of the Torah is going to rest on and that, you know, will be a totally integrated person. So he talks a lot about the inner work that we have to do. The duties of the heart is what the book is called. So he says that what we're trying to get to when we're working on self-esteem is this place of hishta'avut. And we talked about that. It's, the word shabem means equal. So it's a place of equilibrium. When we call somebody even-keeled or even-tempered, we're saying that they've sort of reached this place where, as the Chobot Levavot said, they don't overreact to criticism and they don't overreact to praise or compliment. And really the goal and the highest and loftiest goal, and we gave examples of this in the first class, which was way, way back, the, the loftiest goal is to be at a place where whether somebody criticizes you or somebody compliments you, it doesn't move you. You know, it doesn't change how you feel about yourself. It doesn't change your sense of self-worth. And it's not because you've made yourself a stone and you've made yourself impervious to what other people say about you, which would really actually come from a, could come from a place of arrogance. Well, I don't really care what you say. I don't care if you compliment me because who are you anyway? And I don't care if you criticize me because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to take it from you. So, again, it's not because you become hardened to it, but because you hear it, etc. But it doesn't move you out of your sense of self and your sense of self-worth. And that's the very lofty level that everything that we're going to talk about is leading towards. And we're going to give a lot of examples of how we get moved out of our sense of self, our sense of self-worth, and where our self-worth, you know, should come from, which obviously we know what the answer is going to be. Um, we do. Well, I'm saying our, our sense, <laughs> yeah, I think we do. I mean, we're, we're at a horror class. What? It's obvious. <laughs> It's not obvious? I'm waiting for the question. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm going to keep it a secret. We're going to get there then. Okay, so it means, okay, so again, it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate a compliment, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't sting when somebody criticizes me. But my view and my sense of myself doesn't change dramatically. Okay? Um, so they give a nice mashal for this. They say, you know, when you look at yourself in just a regular mirror, you see yourself as you are. But if you would go into a fun house and go into one of those mirrors, right, where all of a sudden you're stretched and you look really tall and Skinny. slim, <laughs> oh, like that one, right? Or you go to the other one where you look really short. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is like obviously not you, but this is the way we can, we can, 
think about ourselves based on outside triggers, based on external criteria that we compare ourselves to, we can all of a sudden get a very distorted picture of ourselves that isn't real, but it's caused by the fact that we don't have a healthy self-esteem. Does this make sense to everybody? It's a nice image, right? Image, pun, no pun intended. Um, so, so the point, the idea of it is, is that you, you have a sense of yourself, but when there's an outside trigger, all of a sudden you view yourself differently. And, and you start seeing yourself based on the way others perceive you, okay? Because of something somebody said to you, or it could even be just because of the people that you're with. You know, you happen to be hanging around with a really group of really wealthy people or a group of really beautiful looking people. And all of a sudden you can't help yourself but to start comparing yourself to them and you start to feel, you know, if it would be a cartoon, right? Like you're just being more and more diminished in your own mind as to who you are and your sense of self-worth. So you compare yourself to others. Um, so she gives an example that, you know, you happen to be sharing a Shabbos meal, let's say, with the people whose children are very well behaved. And your kids are under the table and they're, you know, who knows what's spilling everything. They're throwing things around. And so you leave that Shabbos table with your husband going, well, wow, we are the most dysfunctional family around. Or the opposite, you know, you go somewhere and the other person's kids are like that. And your kids are, you know, so well-mannered, you know, you've basically trained them so that if they move a muscle, they know they're going to, you know, get it good at home. Whatever it is that creates children like that who are so perfect and sit so nicely, you know, you come away from that because your kids sat like that and the other people's didn't. You say, wow, I'm t we're, we're fantastic parents. We're really, we're really something. We really know how to parent, don't we? So both of those are wrong. That is not the way you should come away from either of those things. Okay? And you really shouldn't feel too different based on those two situations. So there is a rabbi called Rabbi Uri Weisblum. He's called a Baal Machshava, which means he's a... Machshava means like thought. He's very into deep thinking and analyzing things. And he was a Talmud of Rav Volbe, who is the, the person, the main rabbi whose work she uses, who writes a book called Alei Shor. And this Rabbi Weisblum is a Mashiach in Haifa, a yeshiva there. And he says something very interesting. He says, every mida, every personality trait that functions in our life on a lower level has a place for it to be sublimated on a higher level. Sublimation, what does that mean exactly? Do you know? I do, but can you repeat the Okay, so every personality, I'm going to give an example so it'll help explain it. But every personality trait that functions in our life on a lower level has a place for it to be sublimated, I think, to a higher level. Mm -hmm. I think I would finish the sentence that way. For example, she says, imitation. Human beings naturally imitate other human beings. Right? For, and she gives the example, you know, you see shoes for the first time on one person and you think, oh, 
those are so ugly, right? But then all of a sudden, you know, not only Susan's wearing Crocs, you know, but all of a sudden the whole world is wearing Crocs. And so your whole idea of Crocs begins to change, and before you know it, you need a pair of Crocs or those Tom's shoes, right, that everybody had to have a pair. Well, you know, I don't know. I never thought there was anything so incredibly... Maybe it's because people want to give tzedakah and, you know, give the money to something wonderful and it's all coming from good-heartedness. But, you know, let's face it, when all, you know, every other person has a pair of Tom's shoes, even if you don't like them, you feel compelled to want to get them, right? So this is a very natural human thing. So he says, you know, we have certain things that are natural, but we're supposed to be using them on a higher level not in order to be able to imitate the way people dress or imitate the way people act necessarily but we want to have we want to use this trait for a higher purpose because it's in our nature for a reason okay so the reason Hashem gave us this ability to imitate is because really on the highest level we know we're supposed to be imitating Hashem Right? In the way that, you know, just like Hashem is merciful, so too should we be merciful. The same way Hashem is long-suffering, meaning He's very patient, He waits and waits and waits and hopes that eventually we'll get it, right? So too we should practice forbearance and patience. So this idea of imitation on its loftiest level is that every human being has a Tzalem inside of them, and therefore an image of God inside of them, a soul, Right, which is like a piece of God. And therefore, we have the ability to take that natural personality, human nature trait of imitation and take it up to a much loftier level. And you can find all kinds of things in life. I, I, I can't think of them now, but I, I, I've, I've thought of it in many different scenarios where you see something on a very base level and you see how it could be used in a much Higher level, not not base. I don't want to use the word base, but but uh, an exa- in in one of um, a learning group that I'm a part of, one of the examples that one of the women brought was that one of the reasons Hashem gave me. She's working on her kind of character traits, okay. Um, and she said when that she gets very frustrated that she has a bad memory sometimes, and so in her work on herself, she said that she's sublimated it or elevated it to be that. The reason she has a bad memory is that she she can forget all the annoying things her children do and only focus on the good things That's and the goodness good. that they are. That's great. Or I was thinking she could say, I forget all the lush and horror people tell me. <laughs> exactly. I just don't remember. The next day it's just wiped exactly. out of my mind. I don't have to work on not accepting it because I forgot it. But yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Okay, so we any trait we have, we can use it for a higher pur- purpose. Okay. And so the same idea with our sense of self-worth, right? Our sense of self-worth, when it's moved, it's because what we're thinking is, what is she thinking of me, right? What are they thinking of me? I'm not measuring up. It must be that other people are know this and they're thinking this about me. So instead of saying, what is he thinking about me, what are they thinking of me, we have to elevate it or sublimate it, whatever, if that's the right word, and say, that really our whole sense of self-worth has to come from what is he thinking of me? That's where it should come from. What is Hashem thinking of me? Hashem who is really the only one who truly knows who I am. With all of my constellation of character traits, 
of all my weaknesses, of all my strengths, which come from him directly. Again, that idea, and we, we, we bring it up all the time in these Musravads, that we're created with Homer, which is the raw material. We don't choose them. Maybe on some very lofty spiritual level, we go around before we come down to this earth and pick what, which things we want and which things, you know, we get to choose ten of each, good and bad. But the point is, is that we're all so uniquely different and we're made up of these strengths and weaknesses that we can take no credit for, not on the side of strengths, and certainly, though we would like to, not on the side of weakness, because those are given to us by Hashem, and that's why the only one that we really have to worry about is, is Hashem. You know, what are you thinking of me? What is he thinking of me? So, you know, another person could say to you, you know, you're such a great parent, you never get angry, you're always so relaxed, you know, you do so much chesed, you're always baking cakes for people. So, again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the compliment. But ultimately, if that's where your sense of self-worth is coming from, what other people say and tell you, right, even positively, then you're not really going back to, wait a second, I know what I'm capable of, Hashem knows what I'm capable of, Maybe in other people's eyes, I'm impressing other people. But I know the truth. I know how much more I'm capable of. Or the opposite, right? You can't do certain things that other people do. And instead of feeling, oh, everybody must be looking at me as I'm the biggest, you know, unorganized, scatterbrained person, right? But they don't know that, you know, I, have, I had ADHD as a kid and, you know, I could never remember where anything was and, you know, but I'm good at something else. But the point is, is that, again, Hashem knows and if I'm working to fix that, that's the only thing that matters. That's where I'm always measuring myself according to that, not according to what other people's opinion of me is, for good or for bad. So we want to get to this place of self-awareness that we don't feel, that we, we don't, that we don't exaggerate things about ourselves and we don't diminish, we don't feel diminished by, let's say, the negative parts of ourselves. Okay, now there's an idea called, oh, yeah. So how do you get to this place? So this is an idea. It's called your Nakuda of Shefa. Every single person has a Nakuda of Shefa. Shefa means bounty or flow. And it's a character trait that you excel at. That's your, you know, one of, a, one of your character traits that's especially strong. And it's part of your homer. Again, you didn't work to get it. Um, it's not something that you had to work on. It's natural. And if you allow it to, and you know what it is, and you get in touch with it, it can flourish and enliven you. And it can help you answer the question, what's my tough gait in the world? What's my, what did Hashem send me into this world for? What is my mission? What am I supposed to accomplish? What's my purpose for being in this world? You know, which letter of the Aleph Bet in the Torah, which letter in the Torah am I? And, and, and how am I going to find that so that I can actualize my potential? So this is called the Nakuda of Shefa. And basically, the way you're going to, you know, and, and none of us get a note, you know, tied to us when we come into this world that say, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, it would be really nice if each one of our kids came with a little, 
a little instruction package. <laughs> this kid's going to have this problem, that problem, and they're going to have this strength and that strength, you know, whatever. One, you know, put one cup of this in, three cups of that, and a few teaspoons of that, and you'll, you'll have made a, a perfect or as perfect as you can individual. But that's not what happens. So how do we figure it out? So one of the things we know, and I'm sure everybody understands it, that our life challenges are always going to revolve around our strengths and our weaknesses. Right? That makes a lot of sense. So you can get to know what your strengths and weaknesses are by looking at those things that challenge you in life. And one of the ways that you can maximize your strength and overcome your weaknesses is by knowing what is my greatest strength, okay? Because you can use that strength to overcome your weakness. So here's an example. Let's say your weakness is that you're a very lazy person. You just were born that way. You know, you'd rather lie on the couch and eat potato chips than do anything else, especially in this weather, right? And watch your favorite TV program or whatever, whatever laziness is for you. But on the other hand, your greatest character trait on the other side is that you're extremely kind. So you have a real conflict when you're lying on the couch eating potato chips and somebody calls you and says, oh, could you go and help so-and-so out? Her car is stuck over at, you know, Glencairn and Bathurst and it's 30 below zero, but, you know, she really needs some help. So, you know, the kindness that you are, which could be a number 10, positive 10, and the laziness that you are, which could be your negative 10, and we're going to talk about that soon, okay, could actually propel you out of your laziness to doing proactively what's good and, and, and taking your strength and, you know, helping your laziness just lighten up a little bit. So your strength can actually pull, instead of directly working on a weakness, which can sometimes bring us to despair and depression, another way to go about getting rid of weakness is to strengthen your strengths. And by strengthening your strength, you see in that example that your weakness naturally becomes less fixed, less, um, what's a good word, resolute, I don't know. It, it, it loosens up a bit. Rigid. Rigid, okay. And it also reminds you that you do have some positive along with the negative because you're using it. Exactly. And another thing that it reminds you, and I'm probably jumping ahead, is that character traits, even though we do have certain positive and certain negative that are uniquely ours, they're also fluid, meaning they always can be changing and developing. And even certain situations will make us discover some new character trait that we never even knew we had because we were never in a situation where we ever had to call on such a character trait. You know, people who never knew they were so courageous or brave until they were in a situation where everybody else was freaking out and they were the one that, you know, saved the day. But they never knew that they had a particularly large amount of courage until... Right? Until they were in this situation that they were, they never had experienced before. So, the other idea is, is that if I use my good points, if I focus on my good points, it's going to give me the spiritual energy to overcome my weaknesses. 
because we know, obviously, when somebody praises us and speaks nice words to ourselves, to us, or when we self-talk positive and complimentary good words to us, it gives us that energy that we need to be able to overcome, again, not just the battles that we face outside of ourselves, but the battles that we fight within ourselves. Okay, so out there in the world, if we're externally oriented based, we're going to feel embarrassed about the fact that we have these certain weaknesses, whatever they are. You know, I'm not so organized. I don't do as much chesed. I, you know, I don't, I'm not as hospitable as my friend. She's always having guests. I'm never having guests. I can't stand having guests. I, I get too nervous when I have guests, whatever it is, right? So we're, when we're comparing ourselves, we're always going to feel, you know, not good enough. But we have to say again, Hashem is the one who gave it to me. I have to own this and I have to work on this. Because He knows the struggles that I might have when it comes to the weaknesses that He's given me, which nobody else is privy to. And He also knows what He gave me on the positive side to help me out of it. Or to help me, you know, again, strengthen those strengths. So... And this is a really important point, I think, to realize that Hashem is not angry about something that He gave me. You know, a lot of times, and again, women, I think, and I think it's really true that women excel at beating themselves up. Mm -hmm. And I think, That's you know, true. if I was going to tell Dina two things that changed my life about these buds, I think one would be, you know, that we're not responsible for our primary response. In other words, when we feel jealous, when we feel angry, when we feel like we want to take revenge, when we feel that sting because of something that somebody did, we're, that's fine. That's human. We're allowed to. The only place where, where free will kicks in, where we're, now we have a choice, is whether we decide to remain in that place of anger, frustration, you know, poisonous to myself, um, you know grudge-taking, resentment, all those terrible feelings. That's that's where we're judged, meaning God wants us based on all the mitzvahs, right? You can't hate your brother in your heart. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? All of these different things. So that's where we have to say, listen, if I'm a law-abiding Jew and I want to do what the Torah says, then I'm I'm allowed to feel hurt. I'm allowed to be upset. Maybe even for six months if it takes that long because it was something really big. But I have to be working on getting out of it, on moving it from the regesh to the seichel, right? To me, that, that was, and, and I think this idea too, that Hashem's the one who gave us our weaknesses. He's not angry at us. He's not, um, you know with an angry face saying, what's wrong with you? You know, like you can imagine your parent when you were a kid. Again, you spilled the milk. What's wrong with you? You know, whatever it is that we were berated for. You know, oh, you're such a scatterbrain. Again, you lost your backpack. What's wrong with you? Right? So again, imagine that Hashem, so to speak, is more merciful than our own parents could be, or we ourselves as parents could be, because Hashem knows better than anyone that I, may, I, I gave you that set of skills or non-skills. You are a work in progress. 
you are uniquely you because your set of weaknesses and strengths, weaknesses and strengths are a constellation of, of, of doses of each that no other person in the world possesses. Okay? And said, again, he's the only one who can really know whether we're moving or not. Yeah. You said you, you're the one in charge of the first reaction. Yeah. Um, but then something. No, you're not in charge. I mean, first, sorry, you're not in charge yeah. of the first reaction. You're in charge of it afterwards, how, whether you're going to hang on to it or whether not. Whether you're going to move it from so, your emotion to your so intelligence. Then what happens, which I think you were heading to with women often, yes. happens with men too, but yeah. you start to feel badly about yourself if you hang on to the resentment. Now you start berating yourself because you're thinking badly of yourself because you're not getting rid of the resentment. So you're making double the pain. Right. You're or, living the pain right. of the problem, and then you're living the pain the pain of you being hard on yourself. Right. And I would call that maybe like a Sudeikis um, syndrome. Sudeikis syndrome, which, you know, I think unfortunately maybe, I, I mean, I didn't go to Beisiaco, but maybe the religious world fosters a little bit, you know, that I'm supposed to be immediately great or how disappointed I am in myself yeah. that I would have this feeling of jealousy, you know? But that's not true. That's normal to have that feeling of jealousy. That's human. And to, to, to berate yourself to the point where you say, but I'm supposed to be at Sudeikis. I, you know, I have this image of myself, or this is what I want to be. Well, guess what? That's why we get 120 years, you know? And, and it's false to kind of, and people can do it. I think it's called disassociation. You know, where you're not really in touch with how you're feeling and what's really going on. You push it down and you, I think that's the word, sublimate, right? You sublimate it. Repress. You repress it. That's the word. You repress it in order to feel a certain way about yourself. But that's why I'm saying I think it's such a freeing idea to know, what are you doing? God made you that way, to be jealous, angry, hateful, whatever you want to be. And that's okay. Feel it. Feel it. Know it. Be aware of it. Recognize what it was that caused it, because that's also self-knowledge. Wow, when that happens to me, that really hits me somewhere very deep. Wow, that's interesting. You know, that's interesting that that's what makes me angry. How come? Why is that? But also, again, to say, I can't leave it there because who am I hurting? I'm only hurting myself. I'm certainly not hurting the other person. I'm pouring the poison for them, but I'm drinking it myself. Right? So you're saying that the strength in a human doesn't come from not feeling those things. It comes from overcoming the feeling. It comes from moving it from the place of emotion, which we've talked about in other classes when we talked about internal resentment and anger, that the sting is there, you know, you feel it, but then you have to work through it. And, you know, we, we had all kinds of tools of how you work through it. And they're going to come up again in this class, you know, in a different way. Because everything is holistically feeds into each other, right? If you're going to have good self-esteem, you're probably not going to have internalized anger and resentment. And if you are going to feel it, it's going to hopefully move on more quickly than if your self-esteem is bruised every time somebody, you know, looks at you the wrong way or doesn't say hello, or whatever it is, right, Penny? Okay, so if you are getting, something's happened and you've got that sting, and it's, you are saying it's a result of, gee, you know, there was three chairs and she chose to sit three chairs away from me. I don't know why she didn't sit 
beside me. I'm mad. I, I got a bone to pick with her. I'm going to, I'm going to still be angry at that. Say, say I still choose to keep it. Yeah. But are you then? What about like I'm going to talk to her. Yeah. I'm let her know. Yeah, that could be. That's tochacha, right? You're going to have a direct conversation with her. We talked about that in the last series. So it's okay. I'm going to have a direct conversation with her. Yeah, I'm saying. Different tools work for different things. With some things that happen, you, you might be hurt, but you might say, you know what, I'm going to let it go. It really, I don't it's think they meant the it intentionally. I don't it's, really, you know, this person is, is a one-time offender. They don't usually do this. I'm going to let it I go. Used, I've used an example of something light. It could be something Yeah, light. whatever it is. And then sometimes, yeah, the only way to do it is have a direct conversation because if you don't, you're not going to be able to get rid of it. And then again, you know, we had that whole class about direct conversations are not easy. Sometimes they'll, they'll leave you feeling even more hate, hateful against the person, right? Because they're not going to accept it. What are you talking about? I didn't sit three seats away from you. I was saying whatever it is, right? But so the real true test is get old. Like, well, I'm saying I think, I think that what we're talking about here is, right, that we treat, when we say criticism, we could also expand it to say we treat... Um, situations that might make us feel, uh, you know, rebuffed by somebody, or how could they treat me that way, or how, you know, are they really making me feel a certain way, and we are sort of above it, where we can say, I think that's her problem, it's not really mine, and maybe I'm just going to go sit, move over two seats and go, hi, I, I, I really want to sit next to you, right? Because when you have that kind of self-esteem, Right. You're going to be, you're going to be able to be out of yourself, and you're going to be more focused on the other. Saying, "Gee, I wonder why they did that." You know, maybe they're shy, maybe they're scared of me, maybe they think I bite. I'm going to show them that I don't. Okay, that's, but that takes a tremendously a evolved person. That's a great example of something you talked about in one of the previous classes about choosing to be in connection rather than being estranged. Exactly, and that's from that book. Sorry, this, so this is what Sari Ochavid Riggler says, that we always have a choice. We can choose the world of a connection, or we can choose the world of estrangement. By her moving over three seats and sitting there, in your mind, she just chose the world of estrangement. She just said, I don't want anything to do with you. Now, you could counteract and say, well, I'm not going to choose that world because I don't like that world. It's a terrible world. It's a painful world. It, I don't like the weather here. You know, it's kind of like Canada. <laughs> no, just kidding. You know, whatever. It's 30 below. I'm not going to choose that world. I'm going to choose the world of connection. And again, it's one thing to do it in your heart and in your mind. It's another thing to have the incredibly evolved kind of personality to be able to pick yourself up and move yourself over to that person and say, you know what, I really want to sit next to you. Do you mind if I do? Could you imagine being so evolved? My mother was a little bit like that. I, I remember the story. I mean, it was really a sad story, but she was up on the roof. She had this garden that went all around her, the, pen, the, the top of her roof that she, I mean, she grew everything. And I brought a friend up there once. She said, she should be on Rogers TV and they should be filming this. I mean, she was growing stevia even, okay? And, and whatever, she'd always grow our, our grain for, you know, our, our, our horseradish. We'd all come get her. Anyway, the point is, is near the end of her life when she was really sick, she was busy puttering in the garden and some really nasty, mean lady came up who was just totally mean-spirited. And she said to my mother, what are you working with your weeds again? 
can you imagine? I'm standing there, my mother's like almost whatever. And my mother just turns around with a big smile on her face, okay? I could never do this. I wanted to punch this woman out, and I was frozen. I was paralyzed. I couldn't do anything. I wanted to say, do you know my mother's dying of cancer, and you have the audacity, right? And my mother, with a big smile on her face, goes, that wasn't very nice of you. No, you know what? If you don't like it here, there are other tables on the other side of the gar of the of the you know garden where there's beautiful flowers growing. You could move over there if you want. I was just like I was like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was still like ready to kill her. Okay. Anyway, so I'm saying like some people are just so good with themselves, and and you know I don't know if she was born that way or she. I think part of it was she was born that way. You know, she was definitely born with that way, with that incredible self-assurance, you know. And, and that's rare. Most of us are put off if somebody doesn't look at us the right way, if they forgot to say hi. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt all the time. See, benefit of the doubt is something that is a mitzvah. So you could give her the benefit of the doubt. She didn't really do it on purpose. She didn't see me. She, she really hasn't seen her best friend for the last month, and so she naturally, you know, ran over there. We or can, she had something really garlicky for dinner and she doesn't want to sit next to you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You can make up whatever it is. Happens. Exactly. And I did have something very That's garlicky. Maybe you, got, maybe you got that idea from me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I need gum. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, so exactly. So that's where, you know, done the cups who's but you know, giving the benefit of the doubt. And every every time you give someone the benefit of the doubt, you're getting a mitzvah in your mind. And the only one who knows that you're doing it and you're also relieving yourself. Too. And you're relieving yourself. So you mean God's advice is always good advice for our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, right? But it's not always so easy to implement because we're so busy with our own minds and our feelings and we get we get sucked in. We get we, we get sucked in and like uh, uh, Rifka said, you know, we, we find ourselves in the world of estrangement and all of a sudden we look around and there's no flowers growing and it's all ice everywhere, you know, and like we put ourselves there, right? Because it's our choice. It's our choice. Am I going to choose the world of connection? Am I going to choose the world of estrangement? Even though that person out there just did something that really wasn't very nice. Did you just say that it's a mitzvah to give um, yes. in our minds the, in our minds. Of, the benefit of... Um, yeah, to be done with kasfus. It's a mitzvah of the mind to judge others favorably, to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to not judge another person until you're in their shoes, which means basically... You'll never, never. You'll never be in never. their shoes, right? <laughs> Unless, you know, you're planning to go into a partnership with them in business... And you need to find out whether they're honest, right? And then you do have to make a judgment call or you're planning, you know, to marry them or, you know, you're planning to use them as a doctor or a dentist and your best friend just told you, well, he pulled out the wrong tooth. You know, you're allowed to find that out. But generally speaking, we are supposed to always err on the side of judging people favorably. Okay? The same way we would want ourselves to be judged. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going off topic a little bit, but nothing's really off topic. But, you know, when it comes to ourselves, we always have a million excuses for why we did what we did. And the excuse could even go down to, I was really tired. I'm sorry. I was hungry. I was running home to eat, and I, I wasn't polite. You're right. But we'll have a hundred excuses for ourselves. 
But for the other guy, we can't even find one. We can't even find one reason why they would do that. Why would they do that? And who knows if we do things all the time that are offending people without realizing it. How many times do we walk by somebody or not see someone when they're standing right beside us, you know, at a kiddish, and they're just waiting for a little bit of recognition, and you're totally, you know, you see them on the side of your vision, and maybe, you know, you get a little glimpse of intelligence, but it doesn't register, right? And you only realize afterwards, gee, that person could have been really... Uh, insulted or offended because I didn't say a word to them and I didn't mean to, I wanted to talk to them, but somebody else was talking my ear off, right? So for the other guy, we have to be as generous as we are with ourselves or at least try to be half as generous. And even then, that's a huge level. Yeah, and that does tie into self-esteem. Yeah. How does this play into, what if that person was doing something that you should be listening to to develop your character? Okay, so that's, you know, another idea. Like I, I always quote from Tehillim, David HaMelech said, when my enemies talk against me, I listen. Because if you're in this world to develop yourself and to gain and acquire wisdom and self-knowledge, which is the beginning of, of wisdom, really, right? Then no matter what the source is, that it comes from, whether it comes nicely packaged with a little bow on it and someone told you so nicely what it is that they'd like you to correct, or whether it comes in a really rotten way, right? The person with good self-esteem is going to say, hmm, you know, I wonder if there's any truth in that. Maybe there's something there that I could work on. You know, 99%, they're way off. But maybe there's a point one there that they, you know, they hit something that really, you know, I do have a little bit of that. I do have a little bit of that because, you know, we're all human and we probably do. We all have everything. It's just a matter of in how much quantities, right? We all have every trait. The question is, is do we have this big a jug of this one or this small, right? They all come in different sizes and that what, that's what makes us all different. So that's that would be the approach for that. to know the difference. Like when your mom heard that comment, that was obviously not something she needed to consider. But if someone right. sat three seats away from you when you know them and they're a good friend, well, maybe there was something. Yeah. yeah. Or you could say, and that's why you would say, gee, I, I just, you know, if they were a good friend, you might say to them, um, is there anything, have I, right. is there something going on that I don't know about? Right. Or, you know, did I, you know, I might call them up afterwards, right? If it's a good friend who sit, decides to sit three seats away, you'd be puzzled. You'd be saying, oh, you know, maybe I did something and I didn't realize it. Or again, it could be a total rotten person who says something, but, you know, again, not like a, my mother's example, but something about your character that, uh, and again, we know, we get to know ourselves and how we respond to things, right? I think that Viktor Frankl quote that Adrian Gold likes to, likes to quote, I just heard doing it because somebody just interviewed her, but she says that, you know, the moment of free will is in that pause between what somebody did or what happened to you and how you react. That's where that, that pause between what happened and how you react is where your free will is basically battling it out. How am I going to respond? Am I going to choose the world of connection? Am I going to choose the world of estrangement? Am I going to want to take revenge? And again, but again, our response sometimes it's human to feel that 
negative response. It's okay. But just so powerful when you think about it, because really our free choice is what sets us apart as human beings. So in essence, what that statement is saying is your point of being your highest and best human self is in that moment. Right. Yeah. The test of your humanity is in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the difference between instinct, which the animals live by, and human beings who are have the ability to choose, to say, no, I'm not going to react like that. Yes, I am going to, you know, jump in and help that person, even though I'd rather just go home and pretend I didn't see it. Right? So that's that's what makes us human, That how, how we respond. Okay. Um, You're okay. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> so our strengths shouldn't make us conceited. They shouldn't cause gaiva, as we say in Hebrew, because Hashem gave them to me. So what, what I'm going to be conceited about a gift that I got from Him? So the way Hashem relates to my strengths and weaknesses is where I want to see things from. That's my anchor of my self-esteem. So I'm, I'm going to send you this list, or we're going to... I don't wonder if I have enough. Maybe I have enough. Since we're such a small group. Here, I'm not going to send you this list. I have left over. I might have to leave in a minute. Okay, but I might have to make more of these. You know what? Just share them for tonight. Just whoever. Can you make sure the lights get turned off? Yeah. Okay. Rifka, you'll help me with that. Or are you leaving with her? No, we can't miss her. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so, um, so this is a list of traits, character traits. And what I want you to do, this homework, is to choose 10 characteristics. You're going to choose 10 negative and 10 positive, the ones that pop up at you, not the ones that you don't resonate with you at all. They're not you, okay? And you're going to list them. You're going to list them plus 1 to plus 10, plus 1 to plus... Well, you know what? If you look on the second sheet, look on the second sheet. You'll see how they're... Turn it over, yeah. No, I don't have them. No, I have to look at you. Okay, so you see here, first of all, you can choose 10 positive and 10 negative, and then you're going to rank them, okay? You're going to rank them. So you draw a diagram like this, and you put your best trait and your worst trait, and that way you know what, what those are. Of the top 10 that relevant to you? Yeah, the one that you think is your overriding trait. I once heard that, you know, I mean, obviously, well, we're going to talk about that, but, you know, whoever you were at three years old, like, essentially, that's who you are. You're still that person. Like, you know, if you still have a mom and dad and you could ask them, you know, like, what was my most, you know, if you were a really sensitive kid or really compassionate or whatever you were, I mean, if you could think about what your parents said you were or passionate or you you know, like to talk a lot or whatever. I mean, whatever it is, they say that, it, you know, it just gets stronger. It doesn't really, get, you know, that everything you are by three years old, you're basically a developed person. I mean, obviously, we're so, we're constantly changing and we're so different than we were at so many different stages of our life. But, but in a very pure way, everything is already there and it can be more easily seen because life is so much less complicated than 
right? And also they're finished with their terrible twos, I guess, and maybe things are just settled down a little bit. Okay, but anyway, so this is what you do, and you put your, you, they give you an example, right? You put your best trait, and then you put your best character traits closest to the best trait. You could choose 10, or here they choose 6. And then you do the same thing with your worst traits. And then, on top of it, they they divide the traits into Bain Adam Lemakom and Bain Adam Lechavero. You see that? What does that mean? It means traits. You know, I think we're going to get into this more in another class. But for now, just look at the first page, okay? Because I think in the fourth class we, we do this and stuff. For now, just choose the traits, okay? That's what you can think do do for this week. Choose the ten, choose ten traits, positive and negative, that you think um, best uh, describe you. Okay. So. Now, if you really want a good sense of yourself, and you really want to own your strengths and your weaknesses, okay, because Hashem gave them to you as we talked about, and healthy self-esteem means understanding who I am. And we said this already, that, you know, if you were to pick 20 positive and 20 negative traits, it leads to a millions of possibilities of combinations of character traits. And it just shows you how incredibly different every person is, right? And then again, we said how, you know, you, it could be a real strong or it could be less, but everybody's is in different dosages. So you're very unique. Another thing I would recommend that you do, and you can do this for free on your internet, which is really fun, it's called the VIA Institute. And they only charge you money after you do this, and you don't have to pay attention to them. If you type in VIA Institute, they give you a list of questions to answer, okay? And then they do a printout of your personality, and it's amazing. What? VIA Institute. A friend of mine told me this. And I mean, I'll just show you, tell you, I mean, my first three are spirituality is number one. And I, I, even the definition of spirituality that they put here, you know, it's not like... She loves to, you know, sit on a mountain and meditate and think, you know, contemplate her navel. No, it doesn't say that. You know, it says, having coherent beliefs about the higher purpose and meaning of the universe, knowing where one fits within the larger scheme, having beliefs about the meaning of life that shape conduct and provide comfort. Isn't that an incredible definition of spirituality? I think it is. Anyway, and then I have humor number two, which... Whatever, that was definitely one of my traits growing up. I was the kid recess with a crowd around me imitating all the teachers or something like that, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> number three, love of learning. Okay, but, you know, look at your own. And it lists it also in terms of strongest to weakest. I, my weakest is prudence. Oh, I don't know what that means. Being careful about one's choices. So not take, taking undue risk, not saying or doing things that might be regretted later. Yeah, that sounds like me. Okay, but anyway, yeah, so anyway, you'll see. It'll list them for you, and it'll help you with this, okay? All right. So this um, this Nakuda of Shefa that we were talking about, this Nakuda that we have that is our strongest thing, it's your best one, 
This is the area where you could become great. This is, this is where you could become a gadol. You could become a great person because of this area. And in some people, unfortunately, that shefa might even be covered up and we need to access it. And she says it's a nice thing to try and figure out with each of your children, you know. What is my, the shefa of this child? What is their unique personality trait that is so defining of them that they always exhibit that, you know, really characterizes them. And if you do that with your children, with your husband, with people in your life, it helps you understand them better and realize, you know, anyway, okay. And, and, and not just that, she says you should make that person your Rebbe in that Nida. That's very powerful. Isn't that good? That, you know, wow, that kid is really good at, at forgiving. Gee, you know, there's a lot of other things that I can't stand about that kid, but they're really good at forgiving. You know, I should learn from them how to be more forgiving. I should learn. I could learn something from you. You know, it's like, what, what do we say? Who is the wise man? The wise man is the one who learns from every person. So, you know, this is a way of learning from other people. Try to pinpoint what is their shefa? What is that thing that makes them special, that, that, that defines them? You know, for example, you could, you know, say, okay, you know, sensitivity, considerate, very grateful. And this also helps us to have kavod habrios. We have a mitzvah that we're supposed to honor other people. We're supposed to honor the creation, if you want to translate it, right? And one of the ways we can do this is by, you know, being like detectives. Being detectives at saying, hmm, you know, what is this person's specialty? What makes them shine? You know, or if they knew it, you know, how great they could be with this, with this thing and what can I learn from it? Okay. So, again, um, sometimes the choices that you're going to choose on this list might be at the very bottom of your list. Let's say, for example, courage. And I gave that example a little earlier. Maybe because you don't know because your courage has never really been tested. So there might be certain meetups that you're not sure about because you've never had to call upon them in any real way, but you might actually have them. And that's why I'm saying things can change as we go through life. Something that, you know, we didn't think we were good at or Hashem sends us challenges in life, right? Because the word nace and nishayon are the same word. A nace is a banner and a flag because every time we have a challenge or a test, right, we raise a flag, so to speak. We, we overcome it and we recognize that We've been elevated and we have learned something new about ourselves in terms of being able to confront challenges and overcome them. So, you know, maybe, oh, say, okay, let's go on. So the next section is called What You Can Do to Get to Know Yourself. So the number one is outside input. So asking people, okay, it definitely has its place. I mean, if you have a really close friend, you know, and you can ask for constructive criticism or could you tell me what my strengths are or what you think my strengths are or if you could say three things about me that are positive, what would they be, right? If you have somebody that... I did that once. You did that? Where was I? There was a letter. Oh, it was where I work. Yeah, they did that? Yeah. Isn't I that nice? It. It's a real, it's a letter. It's already written. And you send it to, I think, three people. 
and its questions and, and, and people feedback what they think of you your strength isn't your that nice yeah. And it's yeah. anonymous, so you don't know who it is. No. It no. wasn't anonymous? They know who I oh, am, you. and I know who they are. But do you know who anonymous. wrote You know who wrote on it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah, okay. They, they okay, and you're still talk. friends with them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I work right outside. Yeah. <laughs> Eight hours. No, I remember we did that at the end of a JWRP trip, actually. We all went down to the hotel lobby. You did it, too? We did it, And they too. just put papers on the on the table. And, and, you know, I have a paper, and everybody has their own paper, but you don't, and everybody writes something, and then you turn it over, and then somebody else writes something and turns it over, but you don't know, unless you know everybody's handwriting, you don't know who wrote it, but they all say nice things about you, and you're supposed to carry in your wallet for the rest of your life, so that whenever anybody knocks you, you go, excuse me, right? I have my, um, whatever, what my Bobby used to call it, she'd call it my... I have my credentials. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote my Bubby. It's, it's hilarious. My Bubby, who lived to be 101, okay? When I was 14, I remember it was her birthday, and she was coming over, and I didn't have a present for her. So I quickly ran upstairs, and I wrote a poem in about two seconds, okay? <laughs> Not that I'm such a great poet, you know, but I wrote this poem about everything to do with how fantastic she is, how incredible she is. Anyway, if I had known that my Bubby was going to carry this paper that, you know, was ripped, you know, in her wallet for the rest of her life, and she would joke and she would say, whenever somebody wants to know who I am, I just say, these are my credentials. <laughs> and she'd give them my poem all about how she plays ping pong and does this and that. Anyway, okay, so that you get the idea. So it pays to ask people who have known you for a long time to help you know what your Nakuda of Shefa is. For example, your parents, right? Nakuda Shefa is something that was prominent from the time you were young. You were into justice. You know, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why isn't it fair? Because there's got to be justice in this world, right? This kid's going to be a lawyer one day, right? Or you're a good arguer, a debater, right? Or, you know, you're passionate. Or you just, you can't tell a lie. You're very, the kid who's very truthful even when it hurts. Or, you know, they say it like it is, okay? But this could be a good thing. How are we doing with time? Oh, there's a clock right there. Okay. How am I doing with this? Oh, it's still going. Okay. All right. So we have seven minutes or something? Okay, a little more. All right. Um, the next thing you could do is observe yourself. Have a log. Observe how often you display this character trait, the frequency, right? The negative one. Let's say anger. How frequently do I get angry in a day? The intensity. When I get angry, how intense is it? Is it something that comes and goes? Or is it something that sits with me? And I chew it over for like three, four hours, you know, in the world of estrangement that I've found myself in, right? So this is how you can get to know how consistent am I in this area? Right? How often does it come up? Like we said before, sometimes I have a Mita, but my life circumstances don't allow me to access that Mita very often. But once I understand my Nakuda of strength and weakness, then what I should try to be doing is to put myself in situations which allow my good Mita to flourish and try to avoid situations 
where my negativity is triggered. Okay? So it's kind of like, you know, you're not supposed to put yourself in a place of test. There's a lot of uh, literature in the Torah, etc., and ex- test, testing yourself. In other words, there's a lot of literature and great people in the Torah that said, you know, God, I want to be tested. You know, I want you to challenge me with something big. Okay? And that was considered not something that you're necessarily supposed to do. I, I think in, in David Amela's case, he failed, right? Um, and probably whatever. The point is, is you know what? There's enough tests in life. There's enough challenges that we have to be careful. And even the story of Adam and Chava, you know, can be read that they wanted to eat from the tree because they wanted to be tested on a, on a whole different level, right? I'm not going to go into it, but there was that idea that, you know, we want to rise to an even higher level than we're already on in order to be able to meet a more bigger test and overcome that. And by somehow eating of this tree, they were going to elevate themselves, they thought, to this whole new place of, in fact, what they did is whatever, they did create a lot of challenge and test for themselves, for all of us because of it. But anyway, the point is, is we're not supposed to test ourselves. So she, she recommends, if you're good at something, Put yourself into situations where you can express that, where you can develop that. And the opposite, if you know yourself, you know, you're going to make sure that you're not going to, you know, if you're a jealous kind of person, she gives an example, you know, you don't want to put yourself in an environment where people aren't very private and everybody's looking at what everybody else has and everybody's talking about it all the time. You're going to try and find a neighborhood or, I mean, if it's possible, right? or people, etc., that aren't focused on those things. Because if that's your natural tendency, what do you need to be in a place that's going to make it constantly, you know, like an itch that you constantly have to scratch? So if you can, if it is a situation that you could take yourself out of and put yourself somewhere else because you know yourself so well, you don't have to put yourself in a position of test. You don't have to say, well, no, maybe I should be in a place where, you know, and then I'll work on myself to become a sadakis, you know, because, you know, after all, you know, I got to get rid of this jealousy. So how will I know if I ever really did if I'm in a place with a whole bunch of other losers who don't have anything and I don't have any, you know, whatever it is, right? So that's not what it's about. Okay. Another thing is, oh, this is a really good one, number three. Your Nakuda of Shefa is one that, that you have a very high tolerance threshold for. It perseveres even under difficult situations. And she gives the example of the Holocaust, right? So, you know, she begins and she sort of takes us down the road, of, you know, when things first started becoming bad for the Jewish people in Germany. So let's say you're the kind of person that, that is a person who loves to do for other people, right? So it could be when life was normal and things were good for you and you had, you know, what you needed financially and you were in a good place. You were the kind of person that did chesed and kindness. But as things began to deteriorate all around you, right, you started to lose everything you had. And then you were in the ghetto. And then, God forbid, you were in the concentration camps and the death camps, right? So that mita of chesed that you had when everything everything else was equal, right, doesn't necessarily survive 
when all of a sudden you're in these very dire situations. But somebody who has the Nakuda of Shefa, of Chesed, they're going to be the ones that you read stories about, right? That even in the death camps and even in the concentration camps and even on those trains when they were packed in like, you know, that somehow they're going to not be able to not do Chesed, not be able to not want to share their bread with somebody else, even though it might mean that they're shortening their own life, right? Because they can't help themselves. That personality trait is so strong that it's, so to speak, the survival of the fittest. That they've gone through this terrible thing and yet that doesn't die with them. So again, that's another way of us thinking about what we're made of and what that might be for us. You know, that it, we'd hang on to it even if everything else was stripped from us. Because that's, you know, that's who we are. That defines us on some very, very strong level. For example, somebody who always has to tell the truth, no matter what, even when they don't have to, even when it won't make them look good, right? Even when it's okay to tell a white lie to save the other person embarrassment, who knows what. They can't help but tell the truth. And that's always what's going to come through for them. Or you have people who are optimistic, right? It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how bad things are for them. You know, again, I can go back to my parents because they were both like that. They were just, they were just optimistic to a fault. And, 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 you know, if, and if I thought it was fake and Pollyannish, all of my life, I saw by the end of their lives that it wasn't. That not only maybe they naturally had it, but they'd really, they'd really dug it in. They really made it a skill, you know? And I, and I tell, I tell the stories. I just gave a class on gratitude. I, I always tell that story, and I probably told you already about my mother who was driving carpool with her grandchildren, and her grandchildren said, you know, buddy, you have so many wrinkles. And she said, aren't I lucky? Right? You know, everyone gets to be young, but not everyone gets to be old. That's what she said. Like, without skipping so a beat. And without skipping yeah. a beat, you know? So, you know, I would say, like, that was there all the way to the end. All the way to the last breath. You know? So, whatever. And we all have something. We all do. We just have to find it and strengthen it. So people who, you know, the cup's always half full, even though... You look, you look from outside and you say, how can they be so happy? They, they have so many, so much sorrows. They have so many difficulties in their life. There's so much going on. I could never like, I couldn't, I couldn't get up in the morning. I couldn't put a smile on my face. And yet, wow, right? Those are the people who should be our rebbes, our role models, our mentors. And how do you get to know what you are? Well, the example she gives is, what do you like on a busy air of Shabbos or Let's say Pesach, when Pesach's coming. And if you, you know, if you have a home with a lot of kids around and you're trying to make Pesach or Shabbos, I mean, it can be an incredible time of losing it. If anybody's been in a home like that, you know, and the countdown until you light the candles and then you can't do anything anymore. I mean, you know, there's a reason that it says on Shabbos, one of the laws is you're not allowed to light a fire, right? You're not allowed to cook on Shabbos. But the rabbis, 
read it more deeply, they say you're not allowed to get angry because the worst fire of all is the fire of anger. And the reason they warn us against it is because they know when time's running out and you're in a family and things are really pressured, you're going to lose it. And, you know, how often does it happen? When does it happen? You've got to get to know yourself. So again, this is how you get to know yourself. And which good mitos do we have even during times of pressure? Right? What good character traits stand strong? Right? Which ones fly out the window? You know, you have good character traits, but they basically leave you whenever you're in a moment of pressure. You know? I can give you an example today. I, I had a you know long day, and I mean, I'm not complaining. God forbid I should complain. and I, I, It's really like puny-minded of me. But I have to say that when I saw my daughter's car parked outside my house when I was coming home, and I thought, oh, I just want to relax, and my cleaning lady comes once a week, and you know, you know how you like when your house is just clean for like, a few moments, like that feeling, like you know it's not going to last, but like every, you know, and you just paid for it and everything, and of course there's my daughter's car, and I know there's three kids in there, you know, and I'm having guests for shoves, and I know like the coffee table probably has hand friends now, and whatever, right? Okay, but whatever, I'm trying to like breathe deep and go like... I'm so lucky I have grandchildren and my dog. Of course, right? Of course. What are you, an idiot, right? But, you know, like, I'm having a struggle here, and I realize I am, and I know I'm going to be weird and tense and awkward if I don't nip this in the bud, right? So I did. Pretty good. I was pretty good. My daughter kind of knew. She said, okay, boys, we're only staying for another 15 minutes. And I, like, was really on top of them, like, I fed them so that... You know, every nobody would spill, and then I said, "Let's go read a book, so nobody would like play with the toys." You know, whatever it was, I just like decided I'm going to be right, so that I could minimize what would be. I guess that's what it is, right? I know myself, and I felt it, so I was trying to minimize the trigger, you know, that might cause me to lose it if they're just running wild around the house and opening up that freezer and going, Buddy, what do you got for us? You know, and all the rest of it, right? So, anyway, uh, true confessions. Um, so what good character traits fly out the window during those times? And which ones stay with you no matter what's going on? Okay, so I'm going to end just with this last bit because it's a bit, it's, it's, it's on the same idea. Unless, okay, so let's just end with this idea. So, for example, some people will never change the truth. They'll always tell the truth. Some people with just a little bit of pressure will lie, okay? And then there are people who will lie when they're not even triggered, when there's not even pressure. So those are the people we call pathological liars, right? Right, Doc? <laughs> She's a psychologist, so I call on her for the, right? So again, you see the different ways that people are based on what's going on outside of them. Then there are people like, you know, like, I, I'm like this too, I have to say. I don't know what your thing is, but I have to dub in, in the morning no matter what. Like, I just have to get up and I have to, I have to pray. I mean, thank God I'm lucky that my life isn't so busy now. But even when I had little kids, 
I just felt like I don't care what's going on. I'm going to believe in you. Nobody's going to break any. You know, even if they're tugging at my skirt and I'm in the middle of Shimona Estray, well, tough luck. They're just going to have to learn that mommy's not available for the next two minutes and 20 seconds, right? And of course, if something's really dangerous, I'm going to move. And there are rabbis that say you don't have to dove in at all when your kids are little, right? And you probably go by them. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right, whatever, okay. you know, but you don't, Thanks. and you don't, and you know, they always tell you about the Chafetz Chaim's mother never dovened, the Chafetz Chaim was this big, she never dovened, and so, you know, don't feel like you're a, a, a loser, because you, you know, don't want, you can't, do, right, whatever, they try to tell you these things, right, but the point is, for some reason, for me, I felt like that's my moment of sanity, that's my moment of connection, and that's my moment of, like, I don't care what's going on, God, if you're really there, you're going to handle this, because right? <laughs> I, I want to have that, and so, whether I have no kavana, whether I my the words I'm saying don't you know mean a thing, I could be going blah 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 blah. I just do it consistently for the connection to give myself that time. So we all have things that like that that we're not going to give up. It doesn't matter, right? Somebody who's always considerate of other people, they're always going to be considerate. Somebody who always worries about my neighbor and how to help them. Is going to be like that. Somebody who tells the truth, even if it's going to get them into trouble. Somebody who lies, even when they don't have to, right? That's the opposite, right? So that they know that MS, being truthful, is their weakest point because they'll lie at the drop of a hat, right? Just by perceiving that they might be in trouble. Whereas another person's highest thing is that they'll tell the truth, even if it will get them in trouble, right? So there you see the two differences in terms of, right? So which bad meadows are with me even when I'm in good circumstances? Should we stop? Did you guys hear enough or do you want to hear, do you want me to finish this lesson? What do you want to do? Any comments? Uh, I don't know. I think it's really all, like, it looks like a lot, but it's all, not too many points. It's not, Sue, be honest. You had enough? Tired. You're tired? Everyone's okay, tired. so you know what? Let's wrap it up here. We'll go on with it, because anyway, we like to review, and if it's a continuation of the same ideas, we'll be able to flesh it out again, okay? Oh, is it? Oh, my gosh. So thank you very much, everybody. And my phone lasted, so that was good. And yours did, too. Good. Okay, you taped it, too? Oh, oh, yours lasted in terms of... 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 Oh, yours Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at Yahoo.ca.